Welcome back for another great episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today, I'm joined by Rail Klein. He is the founder of Nozzle. It is a tool that helps Amazon sellers understand their customer journey, understand the lifetime value of a customer, the acquisition cost of a customer, all topics that traditionally Amazon sellers haven't really been taught about, haven't learned about, haven't spoken about because we just sell products on Amazon. But as you go to really want to try and build a legitimate business, a real brand, things like customer acquisition, customer lifetime value, they do become much more important. And as competition grows on the platform, again, they become much more significant metrics to look at. And so this for me was a fascinating conversation with Rail. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think, not only about the tool, but also about the topic customer acquisition, some of this more uh, mainstream direct to consumer e-commerce mindset and strategies check it out see what you think and let me know i'd love to hear your thoughts let's get into this episode with rail awesome well welcome to another episode of the brand builder show great to have rail here hopefully i'm saying your name right rail you can correct me if i'm wrong in a minute um no, great that's to have absolutely you right from uh, from <laughs> nozzle and another great name uh, really excited to learn all about what you're doing in the amazon space and uh, thanks for coming on the show Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, Ben. Uh, a fellow, I want to say uh, a Brit. It sounds like you're up from your accent. You're not a Brit, but you're living in the UK right now, right? <laughs> Indeed, I've been here. Uh, gosh, close to sort of what is it now? Nine years or so. Okay. But yeah, I'm South African yep. uh, originally, so we can get into that little backstory if if you want. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what kind of brought you to the UK? And uh, yeah, give us a little bit of a, a background on your journey into online business. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I grew up, I spent the first, gosh, I don't know, 20, 20 something odd years um, in South Africa. Um, I came to uh, the UK in 2010, but my career really was actually in, in finance. So I studied finance, I worked in finance, um, I you know, did a whole bunch of spreadsheets with finance things and all that. And I came to the UK in 2010 to study a master's in finance at Cambridge, Cambridge University. And when I graduated, I got out of finance altogether. So it's kind of an expensive way to learn what you don't want to do. Um, but, but I, I mean, it was still the best decision I guess I've ever made um, with, in, in retrospect. But I, you know, companies kind of mostly exist in spreadsheets, you know, anything sort of advisory. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what I want to do um you know you're building models and uh, you know all these sorts of things and all models are wrong it's just a question you know some of them are useful some aren't um, so i wanted to get something you know much more sort of tangible um so in 2000 and, what was it 2013 that's kind of my um i guess first fo first foray into into the online world and i uh, co-founded a company called media gamma in london and media gamma was kind of niche i'd say um it was focused on online advertising, but what's called programmatic advertising. Okay. So this is the world where um, someone arrives on a, uh, on a web page, there's a live auction to show somebody a display ad, you have 100 milliseconds to submit a bid, a winner's chosen, winner's ad gets shown to you. So this whole thing is like 100 milliseconds. And so we were involved in writing custom algorithms uh, for to to submit bids in these in these auctions, right? So we were doing uh, for the buyers. So let's say a games company, they want to get you to download their app, or um, you know, big sort of grocery companies, whatever it is. Um, we would do these these custom algorithms, and we would work on the other side. So if you're a publisher that's hosting the ad, 
you of course want to get the highest possible bid. Yeah, so we were involved in the algorithmic component and it was a spin out of a university, a computer science department at, at University College London, UCL. Um, and so we, we built that business and sold it close to about three years ago now uh, to one of our longtime customers called Beeswax in New York. Um, and that, but that obviously just taught me so much, right? I mean, what to do, what not to do. Um, and we can talk, I mean, I can talk for ages on, on machine learning and algorithms and the value and all that kind of stuff. But I guess one of the key lessons, and this is why why it will it's relevant for this conversation, one of the key lessons for me is that if I look back and look at the... Um, the customers that really, really benefited and did really well, it was those customers that were interested in stitching together the entire journey of a customer. And what do I mean by that? So a games company is interested in <clears throat> not just somebody, let's say, uh, downloading the app, but they're interested in what happens afterwards, right? They're interested in when does someone make their first purchase? What happens after three days, 10 days, six months? And so they were always mapping that entire journey and then working backwards to the advertising and saying, okay, given that on average, I know this about my customers, right? After three days, the profit per customer is worth X. And after 10 days and after six months, it's worth all that. And uh, how many of them still stick around after, you know, three days or six months? Then I can, then let's discuss the advertising. Then let's discuss how much I can um, submit in a bid in one of these auctions because I've got all these numbers to back it up. And so a lot of the gaming companies were really successful. Our partnerships were great. And so when we sold Media Gamma, you know, really looking to um, you know, leverage this idea, right? Like where else can we apply the same sort of thinking? And you quickly land on Amazon, really, because for a number of like quite unique reasons. Number one, a Amazon has got the data sets, right? They're both the advertising side and obviously what happens after the purchase. Number two, they have APIs for that. So if you're a third-party tool provider, you can access this information uh, automatically, right? You put some sort of software development to, uh, uh, together and, and you can do this programmatically and scale it. And number three, of course, Amazon's just massively uh, growing in all sorts of ways. This is you know, even pre-COVID, um, both the advertising side and, of course, just the marketplace itself. And so we thought this is a tremendous opportunity to um, really understand your customers. And the more I looked into the Amazon ecosystem, the more I realized that actually understanding your customers is just a sort of black box within Amazon, right? Some yeah. of it's deliberate, some of it isn't, but it's really, really hard to understand um, yeah, who, who, who are the people that are buying from you, from you? And I don't mean necessarily mean, um, you know, it's Ben and it's this individual. It's not so much that. It's just what is the behavior of your customers? What are your top, you know, how are your top 10% of customers different to your bottom 10? Like, what, what, you know, what are they doing differently? Um, are they buying more regularly? Are they buying different products? Are they, you know, all those sorts of questions. Mm -hmm. And again, informing uh, back, on, back on the advertising what you should do about that. So I know that's a sort of very long answer to your initial no. question, but that's kind of my journey from... <laughs> from finance into um, into the programmatic advertising yeah, sort of yeah. algorithmic piece and then and then into nozzle um, what it does today yeah it's good I mean you answered kind of like my next four questions so it's good but uh, I got plenty more though so <laughs> but we, I can go uh, into a lot more detail on all these so yeah, yeah I, no I've got plenty, plenty more questions because the the metrics and the um, you, you know the the strategies that you're talking about are traditionally they're not really talked about much by you know 
Amazon sellers, quote unquote, this wave yeah, of absolutely. Amazon sellers that just want to sell products on the platform. But I think it's really yeah. such an essential conversation because, you know, real businesses, real brands, they talk about customer acquisition, uh, lifetime value, all of this stuff exactly. we're going to get into. And I think it's really yeah. key for Amazon sellers if they want to grow into building a real brand, a substantial size business is understanding this stuff. And you're right, you know, one of the big challenges is uh, kind of accessing that data. But before we do get into that, I would love to hear about that because you kind of are, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, well, why Amazon uh, for the, the, the software tool, right? But yeah. um, you yeah, kind of answered yeah. that. But were there ever any other industries that you were looking at that you were kind of like close to or is it always a dead set Amazon? Um, yeah, I mean, we're certainly looking at just general e-com. So what could, what could we do on Shopify or just you know, non, non sort of um, gated ecosystem, shall we say, right? Um, but really, the, the two biggest candidates in e-com three years ago, you're kind of looking at but either Shopify or Amazon. Yeah. Shopify's got amazing uh, APIs, like a, a developer's dream, whereas Amazon, honestly, is on the opposite end of the spectrum there. It's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we just, I guess, placed a bet that on Shopify... There's, I guess, a lot more competition for people. Do, like you could be doing this stuff, and a lot, of, a lot of D 2 C uh, businesses are already doing this sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas Amazon native businesses, this is, um, yeah, this is all new, really, and and th and that's good and it's bad, right? It's good because clearly it's an opportunity, but what's been tricky for us, uh, particularly like in the very beginning is what people weren't what we would call problem aware, right? Like this yeah, is a sure. very, very new way of thinking. And, yeah. and the concepts of, you know, profit per customer or customer lifetime value, um, customer acquisition, all these sort of things and how that changes what you, like how you think about your business. It is quite a fundamental um, change. That I think was quite a challenge um, and still is a challenge, frankly, to um, to convince people or to educate people on why this way of doing things is is, is valuable in the first place. So you know it's it's good and it's bad. Um, but Amazon, I think, is just uniquely much more so than than Google and Facebook, uniquely positioned um, on both on the data set side, right? I mean, if you're doing Shopify, you would still need to connect. Um, you know, Facebook, Google, whatever you're, wherever you're driving your traffic from on the paid side um, to Shopify, and it, it is doable. It's just, um, I guess, more you know, more competition and and maybe a little less clear what our value prop would be compared to the the Amazon space. So that's why we landed on um, on Amazon. Yeah, good stuff. And how does the company look? You're leading things. Have you got developers and um, sure. you're not yeah. in there coding stuff yourself? No, um, and this again, I'm happy to take a, a bit of attention on this, but no. So this is the second, I guess, tech company that that I founded. I don't code, um, and I unashamedly don't code. <laughs> um, and what is super important is to surround yourself with, um, you know, knowledgeable knowledgeable people who can take care of those things. I mean, any business really you need to have complementary skills right like someone to do perhaps sort of product or commercial type stuff somebody else on the technical side and clearly it's very important for me to know to ask what the right to ask the right questions right if you want to um, build something where you know where the risks in this how do we scale this thing what are the trade-offs between what's called technical debt um, so if you take a shortcut now you're going to pay <laughs> you're going to pay for that at some point in the future and that compounds over time so let's understand those trade-offs what are the bottlenecks like or, like learn to ask the right questions but to actually sit down um, you know in an ide or a terminal and start coding 
is is not a good use of my time, right? It's I, I just you know my even if I learnt it, I would never trust myself to put anything near production, um, and so it's just a case of finding the right people ultimately to to get the right collective skill set for for the business. So we're up to about you know what what is it now about thirteen fifteen people, um, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's obviously a very heavy emphasis on. Um, on product and, and in a in a tool provider context that's a lot of software developers so what we call the back end uh, on the API side and a lot of the front end which is how the users interact with with um, with our tool uh, product managers you know all that sort of stuff um, and and I guess one of the things also that I've learned is um, you know if you might have ambitions I guess to start off where it's very, I guess, low touch from Nozzle. So it's a self-serve tool and, you know, it's very obvious that you can just log in or, or try, you know, do a free trial and very hands-off from like Nozzle. But ultimately in the early days, it's it's pretty much the exact opposite. You want to kind of over-emphasize or over-index on, um, you know, get, speaking to your customers early on, right? And cust not just customer support, just what we call customer development. Like, are we even solving the right problem in the right way? Um, you know, maybe we're missing something else. And so, um, you know, it's not just like fully tech loaded <laughs> with yeah. no sort of customer facing people, uh, particularly in the early days where you need to actually validate that you're building the right thing for the right reason. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, let's talk about that problem you're solving then, which uh, the first yes. port of call of that, of course, is collecting data on Amazon, which is notoriously hard. It's getting harder. Yeah. How long? How long do you have for yeah. you to go on about that? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, it's getting harder, yeah. um, and it will continue to, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, so, you know, can you, for anybody that's maybe new to the game or, you know, doesn't fully understand it, what are the biggest challenges for sellers when trying to access customer data on Amazon? Yeah, well, there are problems that are related to just um, accessing like general problems with Amazon's yeah. um, data, I would say. And then there's surely, uh, of course, stuff around around um, specifically customer stuff. So um, starting at, at a more general level, there's... Um, Amazon's actually in the middle of a transition of their API. So they built their, their original um, API suite, the MW, it's called MWS, that is, gosh, 12 years old, something like, even not, even, you know, longer than that, um, even older than that. And really the use cases that ex they built it for are just not use cases that are, that it's used for today, right? It was kind of built if, it was built almost as if without, with no tool providers in mind, it was built as if a brand itself was going to be using those APIs. And so, you know, there's some, some very um, big limitations on scaling um, and how much data, the speed at which you can actually draw down data from Amazon's APIs. Yeah. And what that means in a very sort of, to, to bring it back to the customer, um, <laughs> what that means is it can literally take days and I'm talking like three, four days. And for very big accounts, it can, it can actually take a week for us to draw down all the data from your account. So, you know, one of the most important metrics as a tool provider is something what we call time to value, right? Somebody signs up to Nozzle, they're super excited, awesome. And then we're like, see you in a few days, <laughs> right? Like that is just, that is just the biggest letdown. Um, and so this new API, Selling Partners API, is just a lot better, obviously, um, scales a lot better, all those sort of things. And the old uh, API, I believe, they, they, they're phasing it out. Um, they're various cut off times. July, I think, is kind of one of the big ones. Uh, but anyway, the new API will take, will take care of a lot of um, like the actual throughput and how quickly you can draw down data, all that. Mm -hmm. The other big problem you have on Amazon's APIs is um, 
actually understanding the definitions of the data. Um, there are a lot of reasons to like Amazon, but one of the reasons to not like Amazon is the documentation for a developer. It's actually quite difficult to understand what it means, a particular, what is the definition of this um, of this field or this metric or any of these sorts of things is does it include mobile data or you know all those all those kind of things and it's not necessarily um, matching up to what the definition on seller central is for instance sure. so it's not it's not it's not always sort of parity there so that's um, a, another challenge Amazon itself is a very siloed organization right so you've got like the advertising data sets you've got all the retail data sets. And at least on the API side, probably on the commercial side too, but on the API side, those teams don't, don't really talk to each other um, all that much, right? And so like understanding, especially if you want to try join those data sets and you know, all that kind of stuff, actually trying to understand um, how to do that and what the data means and how it behaves and all that is, is a big challenge. I mean, we spent over a year um, speaking to the different teams within Amazon, trying to like actually understand um, you know, is it, does, can we even join them in the first place mm. is the fundamental question. Yeah. doesn't make sense to do that. Like, is, are both sets of data at the right level of granularity that mm. you can actually do that? I mean, all these sorts of things. So it's, it's a very big job to, um, to actually understand, uh, understand that. So, yeah, I mean, those are, I guess, the general challenges around working with Amazon's APIs. They are, I mean, I, I know I've you know, criticized, I guess, quite a lot, but, um, you know, the Selling Partners API is, is, just, is a huge step. And, you know, they're investing a hell of a lot in those APIs as well. Is that something so, that you say is rolling out at the moment? It has been for, uh, gosh, over a year, year and a half, something like that. Like, we've known about this migration. Um, they've had to extend the deadline a few times because they keep saying, you know, the old one's going to stop working at this date. And then there's so many issues kind of with the new one, the selling partners one. They're like, actually, it's not this date. It's six months later. But, um, look, I mean, uh, as I say, Amazon is, is um, investing in, in, in these APIs and, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff is a bit rough around the edges, et cetera, but, you know, they'll be in a good state. And, and they'll be able to do far more than the old APIs as well, right? Yeah. So, like, we're already seeing stuff that the old APIs would never do. Like, we can we can do, like, you know, A-plus content stuff but via the APIs, right? Like, I mean, we haven't, we, haven't, um, we haven't invested in that, but, for instance, you know, you can create and edit your A-plus content, uh, without having to log into Seller Central, if you're prepared to build, you know, your own interface around that, et cetera, et cetera. So, like all those kind of things, um, is is just making the Selling Partners API have a lot better. So, yeah, it's significant, I guess, historical challenges, some existing ones, but you know, we, it'll, it'll get a lot better over time. They're they're, they're committed to it, they're investing in it, um, and and I think they'll be really beneficial for a whole a whole bunch of um, the whole the whole ecosystem ultimately. Yeah. Um, then you get to you, you'll, the second part of it is on the customer side, the customer data side in particular. Yeah. So that's always been um, that's always been a challenge because, I mean, in a legal sense, of course, you will never ever own the customer relationship, and that's kind of the big difference with Amazon versus DTC or you know many other places. So um, there's no ambiguity around the legal side of it. It's just that's never going to happen. The um, on the data side, you um, in, in the new APIs, there are a lot more. Um, What's the word? Uh, a lot more vetting that takes place around if you're going to access more sensitive information. So if you want something like hashed email addresses or whatever, um, you have to go through an entire process where they audit um, your whole tech team, your whole organization, frankly, um, hours and hours and hours worth of, uh, of work to, to get through the, the, the vetting and to approve the use cases, right? I mean, the Amazon's T's and C's um, are pretty clear around how you, you know, 
using it for you know, tax purposes or printing shipping labels and stuff like that. Um, but if you have unique other sort of use cases in mind, you can make a case to do that, uh, which we've done successfully. So um, it just, it's just it's a hell of a lot of effort to do that. So they're really tightening up, and that's just the wider regulatory environment you know, worldwide, right? Just more sensitive around um, PII, personally identifiable mm -hmm. information. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're really being super, super careful, rightly so, mm -hmm. uh, around all of that sort of stuff to stop any abuse or bad actors or sloppy security practices or you know any data leakage all those sort of things so I, f I fully support that I think that's that's absolutely the right thing um, the right thing to do but it, it just you know obviously raises the the, the sort of barrier um, around accessing this sort of information um, and the use cases associated with it so yeah th there's definitely challenges um, but as I say if you're if you're a good actor you've know to, uh, what the best practices are um, and you put in a lot of effort as I say it took us a whole engineering team hours and hours and hours um, to prepare for the you know the, the whole vetting uh, process and then obviously um, on the use cases as well yeah yeah I mean I think I agree with you in terms of all the privacy I think that's that's great I think um, that just the challenge like you say is that barrier that it creates for being able to you know primarily communicate with customers that's obviously a big thing um, yeah, and to be absolutely. able to have a you know a customer absolutely. list Amazon are making it more and more protected from their end which yes. why I was you yeah. know when I started seeing what you guys do I was surprised at the, um, <laughs> yes. the depth of data that you that can, we can do it. provide yeah. you know because yeah yeah, yeah we as yeah. front end sellers don't realize to be honest that there's actually that much data in in the system so what you're doing yeah it's an, an extraordinarily rich data set that you can do these things for uh, that, that you can do all these sort of things um, I mean I guess I guess the concern so I, I agree that I totally agree with your principle of, of you know you need to be super cautious around who handles um, these sensitive data sets I totally agree with the principle the, the the issue I guess I would have with it is you know how much are Amazon hiding behind that to to just restrict the commercial element of it right they're using it uh, being overbearing deliberate like too overbearing as an excuse to um, you know just just sort of keep more of a sort of arm's length distance from sellers and, and the customers that are buying from them. Yeah. So sure, I mean, I think, you know, that, that's that's up for debate and how much ultimately are they hurting innovation by just making those barriers too high and a lot of, you know, tool providers that want to enter the space can't do so um, because they're just never going to have, you know, have the resources um, to do that. I mean, I think it might be quite difficult if you're, you know, just one or two people um, looking to get started, you know, you want to do something quite quickly to see whether it's got traction, to to wait like you know i don't know months and and to go through this whole vetting process is probably not going to be viable so how much are they hurting innovation how much are they just using it as kind of a a lever to just more place more distance between mm -hmm. um you know the sellers and, and, and the customers that are buying from them that that's up for debate yeah definitely definitely no fascinating though and i'd love to hear a bit more about i'm sure the audience would love to hear a bit more about um you know how how the platform works what kind of data uh, what's the most valuable data that you're not only accessing but presenting? You know, what's like the primary use case for Nozzle? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, how to use us? It's it's like many other tool providers in the Amazon ecosystem. You go to our website, you sign up, um, you connect your Amazon accounts, and we draw down all the data and show you, um, you know, all the inf all that very uh, useful information um, and 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 tell you what to do with it. Right. <laughs> More, most importantly, it's not just here's a bunch of numbers. Figure yeah, out yeah. like you know what you should do. Um, so, in terms of, I guess, the core use case, the one that we um, started off with and got really good early traction um, is this idea of um, customer lifetime value and comparing that to your customer acquisition cost. And just to kind of put 
you know, plain English <laughs> around all that. Um, it's this idea of how profitable is a customer to me, mm -hmm. right? Not just on the first purchase, because that's kind of your break-even ACOS, yep. you know, calculation, yep. for instance. But how profitable is somebody after three, you know, two months, three months, six months, two years, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, and does that change over time, right? Like the you know the jump in profit per customer from the first purchase to three months can be huge, um, and the the flip side of that is that answers a really really fundamental question that every seller should know the answer to which is how much can I afford to pay to acquire a customer on Amazon? Yeah. Like that is the fundamental question and that is the fundamental problem that we're solving for. Um, at least I, we've expanded into different use cases, but like originally this is the main thing. Mm -hmm. How much can I pay to acquire a new customer on Amazon? Well, that depends on how profitable your customers are. And it depends on the time frame that you're looking at. If you're looking to be profitable on the first purchase, that's a break even, you know, a cost calculation. We're probably not going to add much value there. You can do that on your own. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling products that lend themselves to repeat orders, mm -hmm. anything in, you know, groceries and pets and health and beauty or um, cleaning supplies, supplements, I mean, all sorts of things, anything that has a repeat order rate, a decent repeat order rate, um, you're completely missing a trick there by, by just thinking about that first purchase because that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. And so we surface this data for sellers to say to them, help them make like real business decisions around, Okay, if I'm prepared to wait three months to break even, or two, let's say two purchases to break even, uh, which typically take three months or 60 days or whatever it is, then what does this mean? What does this mean for my customer acquisition? Um, I can now spend, I don't know, double what I thought to acquire a new customer, and as long as I'm prepared to wait three months to break even, let's say. And okay, that's great, but what do I, what, okay, I can spend double, but what do I do with that? What's the best way to do that, right? Does that mean now I'm investing in um, more expensive, higher CPC uh, category terms on sponsored products? Does it mean I'm now doing sponsored brand video? Does it mean I'm doing DSP? You know, all these sorts of things around how to, how to you know, more top of funnel things. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, it really speaks to the entire um, strategy uh, based off of these numbers, and you know we've seen transformational results. We all know CPCs are just skyrocketing um, on on Amazon, yeah. and it's getting much much more uh, much much more difficult to break even on that first purchase. Yeah. Right in the D 2 C world, in the D 2 C world, um, this has been known for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's very few businesses would break even on that first purchase. Yeah. Right. And, and so they've all got strategies around trying to get you to buy again, um, you know, whether it's a bounding cart and email, Clavio sort of tools, mm -hmm. and you know, all that, that doesn't really exist on Amazon. But what we're saying is like, hey, for the first time, we can actually give you the data to start, um, you know, st start comparing those mm -hmm. two things um, and, and, and joining the whole journey together. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the fundamental uh, use case for us. But what we're also very, very interested in is breaking down your customer base into how many are just, you know, new to brand or one-off buyers versus uh, repeats, right? And so to take two very different cases, um, I mean, ultimately what we're optimizing for in people's businesses, they kind of, there's a spectrum, right? There's, um, there are people that are very profitability focused and there are people that let's say are very growth focused mm -hmm. and growth focused means you invest a lot today. Um, you know, you might 
um, it might suck up some of your cash, well, it will suck up a lot of your cash flow, but it's going to pay off in whatever it is, six months, 12 months beyond that. Uh, profitability focus is I want to just, you know, ma make sure that I'm, um, you know, my, my ca preserve my cash flow or grow my cash flow. Um, and I'm optimizing more for today. And so these could be sellers that are perhaps wanting to sell in, I don't know, six months or a year's time and you're know, gearing up for those sort of things. Or just generally, it's just, you know, a healthier business if you can prove our profit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, those, so most uh, sellers would be on sort of a spectrum how far they want to go. And then we would look at... Um, two kind of main things to figure out like where you can grow. We would do things like for every for every ASIN, um, how much of the sales from this ASIN are coming from one-off buyers versus repeat buyers? And if there's a very large percentage, I don't know, 50% or more, that are coming from repeat buyers, well, your strategy for this ASIN needs to be very new to brand focused, mm -hmm. right? Like your product just has really good attributes naturally that people are going to buy it again and again. Over 50% of your sales are already just from repeats. It could be subscribe and saves or whatever it may be, but you need to be new to brand focused here. So think about, um, you know, going after those more expensive search terms, non-branded uh, search terms, or higher up the funnel to introduce people to the brand, like, you know, all those sorts of things. On the other hand, if you're super profitability focused, um, and then you want to be thinking about retention rate strategies. So you want to be remarketing to people that have bought once to try to get them to buy again. Um, and, you know, all those, all, all of those sort of things and growing that repeat customer base, right? And subscribe and saves and all those sorts of things. Um, I mean, it's, as I say, it's, it's more nuanced than that. It's kind of a combination of those things, but, um, but, but that's how we would look at and break down the ASINs, yeah. you know, and, and what's the gap, what's the gap between your, lifetime value and your customer acquisition cost yeah. right like if there's if there's a very big gap between those two things we're going to say you've got a, a huge opportunity um to grow this asin here right you, what you thought you could spend um mm. to acquire a customer for this for this asin it turns out it's a hell of a lot more yeah. so if you think that uh, this niche um you know it, it's got growth potential and you know the competitive landscape looks kind of favorable for you you should seriously think about doing that yeah yeah, it's honestly it's fascinating for me because, uh, like you say, in the D to C space, it's been talked about forever. You know, customer yeah. acquisition and uh, knowing what you can uh, yeah. pay for customer acquisition on the front end because you then uh, will recoup it on the back yeah. end. It, that that's not yeah. particularly new to D to C, but to Amazon sellers, that's a no. whole just completely new yeah. world. And it's, it's a whole mindset shift. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And so it's yeah. so interesting yeah. seeing these kind of two worlds come together. But I think that. My concern, and you know, as a point you alluded to, is that it is, you know, uh, very much in the favour of repeat purchase potential products. Do you see like, would you say there is a, a line or a point where you would say, you know, for some sellers, this just completely isn't worth your focus, or should it be part of yeah. everyone's strategy to some degree? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think more. Um, I mean, everyone should be thinking about how they can. Um, get someone to buy again, right? That's just good business practice. Yeah. So um, you don't have to reacquire someone if they're just going to naturally buy themselves or if it, even if it's just sort of a remarketing or I don't know, whatever it is, it's just cheaper than trying to acquire a new customer, right? Getting someone to buy again is, 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 is a lot cheaper than trying to acquire someone that's, that's brand new. Um, the trouble is much easier said than done for a help, like most products in the world. Let's face it, right? Like what we're focusing on um, really comes down to you know we're super strong in like 
seven sort of categories, right? Yeah. As, as I sort of mentioned earlier, things around anything grocery related, um, you know, there's, there's, there's pets and there's supplements and there's health and beauty and there's mm. cleaning products, like all those things, sure. Um, it's just, but, if, but obviously there are brilliant, phenomenal, massive businesses that are selling things that people just buy once. And it's not a criticism, it's just a different, <laughs> it's a different, different thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for, for us, um, we totally get that. And definitely, we would turn down. Uh, we'll turn down a lot of a, a lot of uh, customers saying like, you know, we don't think this is going to have enough repeat purchases yeah. to to justify any of these things. And a lot of people would come to us. I guess in the early days, would come to us and say, I think I've got like quite a lot of repeat purchases. We sell yeah. toy. We sell toys, or we sell educational, um, you know, edu- children's educational sort of products and things like that. Um, and it turns out they don't, they don't right? Yeah. They don't have enough repeat purchases to do that. So I think for us, like, we were also kind of searching for like what are the what are our like main sort of categories and things like that. And so we learned by trial and error which ones which ones would suit. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, if you if you were like starting out brand uh, brand new and you were thinking of you know what could I sell on Amazon, then yeah, I would strongly suggest try pick something that. Um, you know, if, you, if, if it does well, just has a natural repeat order rate, mm-hmm. a good repeat order rate and a customer retention rate, yeah. that's certainly going to help your, bus- your business massively. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're ex- selling something yeah, already, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. difficult. Um, I mean, you could do things. I mean, another, as I said, that, that's kind of our core use case. I mean, the things we're doing now also will include things like um, cross-selling or upselling. So do people, what we do something that's called... Um, like a purchase journey, right? So if someone first buys product A, when they buy from you again, is it product A again or is it product B or C? Um, and so that can measure the impact of um, you know, someone buying a 30-day supplement and then actually upgrading to the 60 or the 90-day mm-hmm. supplement. Um, it could do things like trial conversions. I just want to give people um, a trial version of my product. How many of them actually go buy the full version afterwards? And so it gives you this. It gives you a new way to kind of experiment, actually, on on Amazon because you can now measure these sorts of things. Or we have a coffee customer that sells a bundle of you know ten flavors, and they want to measure what the um, the most popular follow up purchases are, or even the least popular, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those sorts of things. So yeah. yeah, we moved into kind of those those kind of use cases there as well. Mm. Yeah, God, I imagine it would just absolutely crush for replenishables. Supplements, subscribe yeah. and save. This is so, uh, yeah, crazy yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what's what's interesting now is like we're at a point also where we can, we know what good numbers look like. We know what bad numbers look like, mm-hmm. right? We've got enough um, data to kind of say uh, to 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 someone, you know, this is the benchmark, and you know, this is what the average um, vitamin B, I don't know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. product customer retention rate looks like, yeah. and you're above or below it, or, yeah. you know, whatever it is, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, then it's becoming super interesting as well to being able to, because the most the most common follow-up question we would always get is, cool, this data is great, I understand how to use it, that's really good, but like, yeah, am I, in a, am I any good? Yeah. <laughs> is it any good? <laughs> yeah. Well, how does someone, the average seller, increase their customer lifetime value? What are the kind of the tips you're giving? Yeah, so so um, so looking at the full equation, you've got the customer acquisition cost mm-hmm. and you've got the lifetime value, right? Yeah. Those things kind of we'd always mention them in the same sentence, really. Um, the <coughs> excuse me, the LTV side, the lifetime value side. On Amazon, it's actually been quite difficult to move the needle on that because 
you know, you can't you can't have email abandoned cart reminders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no Clavio sequence you can set up. Yeah. Um, you know, all the all those sort of things. So really, what what you to get to increase your LTV generally, it's about getting people to buy more often than they do. Mm-hmm. It's about um, increasing the AOV or at least the margins on your products, mm-hmm. the average order value or the margins yeah. um, of, of of your products. Um, I mean, those are uh, or, or um, yeah, I mean, or, or to get them to buy sort of more, more frequently. Yeah. So, um, re- definitely remarketing or retargeting campaigns have made an impact, right? Like we've done quite a lot of experiments with sponsored display and DSP, yeah. where, um, in in fact, I mean, I can I've got done some research on this. Um, in general, um, in general, the drop off from the first to the second purchase. So if a thousand people buy your product once, about 150, as I say, it's a very, very general number, but 150 will buy twice. So it's 15% customer retention rate. But what we um, noticed that if you can get that 15% to 16%, literally just one percentage point more, that can result in a 7% increase in your profits. Oh, wow. Right? And so that's a 7x multiplier. Um, and you know, that's basically going from 150 people to 160 people, assuming 1,000 people uh, you know, bought your product once. Yeah. So those 10 people, because out of those 10 people, um, a decent number are going to buy a third time. And out of the third time, a decent number is going to buy a fourth time, right? Yeah. So you've kind of got that, that sort of chain effect that, that, that happens. So a lot of our focus around how to, you know, what to do with this data and how to implement it and all that sort of stuff has to do with try as hard as you can to get people to buy it that second time. Yeah. Because from the second to the third purchase, um, the chances of someone buying again double mm-hmm. compared to the first to the second purchase. That's really right. So, like for us, that's kind of the main way on Amazon, at least right now, that 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 one can increase that that lifetime uh, that lifetime value is is kind of the remarketing use cases, or of course, um, you know, terms of service compliance packaging sort of mm-hmm. things that you can do to get people to buy twice. Yeah. Um, there's some, we're watching some interesting uh, developments on the customer engagement tool. So this is kind mm-hmm. of a thing yeah. that's, is it, is it in beta or is it come out of beta? I can't remember, but it's this idea of um, being able for, like, you know, Amazon's kind of broken a bit of a cardinal rule, which is you can email um, customers for the first time. Now it's an it's an extremely restricted use case, right? It's you've got to be launching a new product, and it has to go to people who are already following uh, your brand, um, which is you know that that and so again trying to get people to to buy again. Um, but if they start expanding out the use cases, where you can start sending out emails. Um, you know, to people that have previously bought a product and to, to nudge them. If they start building out that sort of email capability, that is that is massive, right? That is massive for LTV and, and, and amazing for us because we've got all the data to quantify how successful these these things will be. So those, I think, are the, the main levers on the, um, the LTV side, the lifetime value side. On the customer acquisition cost side, on the CAC side, probably worth, I guess, defining um, how, what we mean by, by um, customer acquisition cost. So again, it's one of those things you can ask five people and get five different answers, but in a simplified sense, it's how much am I spending on advertising to acquire a new customer? So we're adding up all the ad spend per month per ASIN and dividing that by the number of new to brand customers you got in that month who first bought that ASIN. So if I spend $10,000 um, on a particular ASIN and you know uh, a, a, a thousand new to brand customers uh, I got that month, then your, your customer acquisition cost is going to be um, $10. Mm-hmm. 
and so sponsored brands, sponsored display, sponsored products, um, you know, DSP, and eventually we haven't quite done it yet, but also the um, the attribution tools. So you want to be capturing all your off Amazon traffic as well, yeah. because obviously that's driving to your Amazon listing. So that's so comparing these two things. You know, I'm paying you know ten dollars to acquire someone in the month of February, and I know on average someone's going to be worth ten dollars to me. Um, in three months' time, or you know something like that. So how how do you how do you manipulate or how do you um, adjust your customer acquisition cost? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean that's just all the advertising decisions we were talking about earlier around. Yeah. Do I invest more in more expensive terms, or mm-hmm. um, do I do sponsored brand video? Do I do DSP? All those sorts of things. Yeah. There's so many use cases and, and so much you you can do with it. So yeah, like I say, it really is fascinating. You mentioned to me um, off camera about doing some work with Amazon aggregators. How's that? How's that been? Yes. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. Um, it's, it's funny because like if I rewind kind of to the beginning, not quite to the beginning of Nuzzle, but somewhere near the beginning, I guess, the there's obviously a question we asked ourselves is like, it, would it be interesting for us to become an aggregator and use all of this as kind of our secret source ultimately, right? Yeah. Like we would only look to, um, you know, buy businesses that have really good repeat order rates. We can quantify the value of all those sort of things. Um, we decided not to, we decided to be a tool provider mm. um, in, in the end, which I'm very happy about. But yes, <laughs> we do work with, um, a number of a number of aggregators. Mm. There are actually two use cases with the aggregators for us. Number one is the same use case as every other sort of seller, which is once you've bought the brand, um, what are the big growth levers, mm-hmm. right? That I can have on, on for, for particular ASINs here. Um, one of the nice things about aggregators is, of course, they've got um, a really strong balance sheet, so they've got lots of lots of cash, mm. and they can actually afford to take a longer term view. Yeah, they can say. You know, I'm not under pressure to break even on the first purchase or even after three months. I can wait 12 months, right? And so we can really sort of invest in, in this particular ASIN if, for instance, 80% of all the sales are coming from repeats already um, and we think the market's going to be growing for this for this particular niche and you know, all those sort of things, then they could be you know, pretty aggressive and say, okay, we're going to just break even in 12 months. Um, this is what it means for the ad strategy, you know, every, every, everything else. So yeah. um, that's, uh, that's one use case. The other use case is actually on the due diligence side. So when um, they're deciding to you know, submit a bid um, for, for a particular business, they would ask us to help out on you know, the due diligence, mm-hmm. which is um, interesting because we can, because I guess one, one of the main questions they want to be um, answering is, you know, is this a brand? Is, is this, are they just selling products or, or is this actually sort of a brand yeah. at the end of the day? Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of ways to answer that question, but a really good sign is looking at how loyal your customers are, right? Yeah, of and, um, and we can tell that, right? We've got all the customer retention rates and all that. And then in a, in a sort of metric sense, something we can do is to say, you know, if you, if you submit a bid, I don't know, 10 million or something to go buy this business, that effectively means you're paying $200 per customer, right? And turns out your lifetime value is $100 after two years or something. So unless you think you can double the lifetime value after you've bought this business, mm. um, it's gonna be really difficult to justify paying that amount. Sure, yeah. Yes. So I'll be doing stuff on stuff on that side, um, on, on the due diligence. I mean, the due diligence is not, obviously that's kind of just kind of a special special case, I guess, for, um, for, the, aggreg- uh, for the aggregators, but um, the core 
the cool thing is definitely once they've boarded what are the major sort of growth levers how long should i be waiting for you know all that kind of stuff yeah no it's really good really good and and what are the future plans for nozzle what do you where do you see the the tool and you know the market in that sense going yeah i mean one of the big um choices we have is i guess go wide or go deep right mm -hmm. so like there's so, so much of what we do um has implications for your customer acquisition cost, which in an Amazon world mostly is advertising right now. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's this, um, you know, do we build up in management tools, for instance, yeah. um, which, you know, I, I kind of did that in the previous business and I had all the headaches involved in all that. Um, <laughs> or, um, you know, there's, there's uh, again, the second most frequent question we get after um, is this, you know, are these numbers any good is, can you do this for Shopify? <laughs> sure. yeah. um, and so we've already started working with a number of our customers just trying to do multi-channel ultimately, like become the go-to place for understanding your customers cross-channel. And you know, is the behavior different for my Shopify customers than it is on my Amazon customers? I mean, the answer, the answer is yes, <laughs> um, at least from the, the data we've seen on this. But um, yeah, I mean, just trying to understand, there's some, there's, trying to, firstly trying to understand actually um, What's the overlap, right? Like, yeah. and, and and from what we've seen, it's less than you think. <laughs> so this idea of like Amazon cannibalizing D to C, what I've seen so far is really not quite the case. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I guess what's the journey, right? To people sort of first come to Amazon, then go to um, then go to D to C or vice versa, and all that sort of stuff. It's, you got to be super careful with that because obviously T's and C's, um, you know, uh, violations and all that kind of stuff. So you got to be careful what what you can and can't do around all of that, or trying to influence all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, so for us, we 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 look at ourselves as uh, the go-to platform for um, you know e-commerce sellers trying to understand their customers and their customer behavior. Awesome. Really cool. Really cool. Well, Raul, I appreciate your time coming on. I, you know, we've been talking a while now. I know you're a busy man, so I don't want to take up too much. No, time. it's all good. Um, I know. Yeah, the listeners will got so much value out of it. If, if they do want to check out Nozzle, what, what's the best place to, to send them to? Yeah, I mean, uh, the website has got a ton of um, content around all of this stuff. As I said in the beginning, one of the big challenges is trying to articulate mm -hmm. the reasons why you should be thinking of your business in this particular way. So there's a ton of content on what is customer lifetime value, how do I use it, how do I calculate it, like all that kind of stuff. So um, definitely, I think, going to the website to try and understand, you know, is this a metric that, that would work for your business? Um, obviously, reach out to me directly. LinkedIn is probably, or email um, are probably the best places to do that. Um, even if it's just, again, trying to understand more about um, uh, lifetime value or Amazon or any of the or, or even the data <laughs> on Amazon if you're having data struggles um, you know there's a bit of a support group for that as well <laughs> so uh, yeah LinkedIn email I'm very happy to chat um, around these topics awesome and what was the website address yeah www.nozzle.ai nozzle.ai we'll leave that obviously in the notes below but just in case anybody wants to go type that in check it out you said there's a free trial the yes, there's a 14 day, 14 day free trial. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, I'm sure people will love to explore that. And uh, it's been a great conversation, yeah. Raul. I appreciate you coming on and chatting all things uh, customer lifetime value, customer acquisition. Like I say, it's quite a new topic for a lot of Amazon sellers. So yeah. I'm sure this would yeah. have been super informative. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Well, there you go, guys. A conversation about a topic that's not really talked about too much in the Amazon seller space. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, uh, for me, this is a fascinating idea, a fascinating tool. It's very uh, different to what's out there. And I'm just wondering what is your 
uh, thought on it. What, what are your thoughts on this tool, on this idea of focusing on customer acquisition, lifetime value on Amazon? I think it's got a lot of legs. I think over the next few years, you're going to see uh, Amazon sellers need to be more serious about building a real business, building a real brand. I think this tool is going to help you. I think these metrics are definitely going to help you do that. So uh, so it's going to be really interesting to follow Rail and Nozzle's journey. Already obviously doing an amazing job. And uh, I think they're going to become a big player in the space. So, uh, But, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts too on that. So let us know. Get in touch. And uh, if you like this episode, definitely hit like on YouTube. Leave a comment about uh, what you think about it below. If you're listening on the podcast, do, of course, subscribe and leave a review. We massively appreciate your support. All right, uh, I will see you in the next episode real soon.